O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us hear your call and have the grace uh, to respond to it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I am so glad to see all of you here. Uh, when we moved to Jacksonville, now over eight years ago, there was a family that lived right down the street. They, uh, they have moved away, but uh, at the time there was, um, there was a young man, I think he was right out of college, and he had some friends over, and, uh, and they were help. I think they were helping us move something or, or something, we had we'd just moved in. So uh, they were very polite, and they, they you know, said, well, what brings you to town? you know, work, uh, work, bring, you know, and he said, oh, what do you do? And, um, and, you know, when I, when, when somebody asks me that, and I say I'm a pastor, I will tell you, they are usually looking for the exits. Uh, that, it shuts the conversation down, almost always. Uh, in fact, Amy doesn't like, she'll, she'll just like, oh, he's, you know, in sales or something, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> it's a different kind of sales, but it's, um, she doesn't lie, but, uh, but it's, um, but it's, yeah, so I said, Pastor, and they, to my surprise, engaged. Kind of leaned in, oh, tell us about that. And it kind of got to the point where I said, well, what about you guys? Do you all go to church? And they said, well, we, you know, we used to. And, and what, come to find out, they had been raised in the church, but now that they were young adults, they, they didn't really go. And I said, I don't remember exactly how it came, but I said, you know, why not, or something. And, and they, but I do remember the answer. He looked at me and he said, it just seems like a bunch of rules. It just seems like a bunch of rules. And I've never forgotten that. Because I just wonder, like, how many people think that or something like that about uh, the church or about Christian faith. It's just, it's just a bunch of rules. I mean, that, that's compelling, isn't it? That is compelling. I can't wait to get up on a Sunday morning and walk through an Arctic blast to go and hear a bunch of rules. I mean, I don't really have enough on my to-do list. As it is, I could really use something else to worry about, and man, it'd be good to throw in a little divine retribution. Uh, that's great. Or, or I could sleep in and go to brunch with my friends and get some stuff done around the house or play nine holes. Gosh, tough call, right? Tough call. Uh, if I thought that kid was right... I wouldn't come to church either. Uh, I, um, so I talked to them a little about God's grace. It didn't really compute. I felt I feel like it was so ingrained that any talk about uh, our faith not being a bunch of rules probably sounded like a trick, like it was just going to be some sort of bait and switch. And I get it. I mean, I think there can sometimes be a lot of emphasis on the way a good Christian ought to live or uh, the, what we should do or ought uh, to do. And I definitely do not want to discourage good, clean living or a life that honors the Lord. But I do not think that the heart of Christian faith or even of Christian discipleship is a bunch of rules. But I thought of that conversation when I was reading the gospel passage from Mark chapter 1. And I thought of it because Jesus makes it so simple and so inviting. And it is the very opposite 
of a bunch of rules. So this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He had been baptized by John in the River Jordan. He'd gone off to uh, 40 days in the wilderness, in the desert, and now here we are. I mean, right at the beginning. John the Baptist has been arrested by Herod, and that's the signal. That's the signal, because he was the one, John was the one who was preparing the way for Jesus, getting people ready for Jesus, and now that John has been arrested, it is time for Jesus to, say, to take center stage. So Jesus begins his ministry along the shores of the Sea of Galilee with two declarations and three invitations. And what I really want to drive home today is that all of these are just as true today, just as meaningful, just as relevant, just as inviting today. In fact, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, just as inviting as they were at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. The two declarations are the context for the three invitations. And I really want to spend most of our time on the three invitations, but they don't make a lot of sense without the two declarations. So real quick, the two declarations are the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Now that's, it's a little like saying uh, the Jaguars season has come to an end and the off season is here. Like both of those things are true. They're not exactly the same statement, but they kind of clarify each other. You can't have one without the other. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. So the time is fulfilled. The Hebrew people have been anticipating the coming Messiah since God first spoke to Abraham. Right? And for generations, generations, uh, God had spoken through the prophets about the coming king. Now, lots of other things too, but one of the main themes throughout the prophets is the coming king. But now the king is here. And so the time of waiting for the Messiah, is over. It's completed. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God, therefore, has come near. Now, why is that? It's because the promised king is on the scene. He's here. He's present. He's living among them. Wherever Jesus is, that's where the kingdom of God is. And you can see why that's just as true for us. We're, of course, not waiting on the Messiah to show up. He showed up 2,000 years ago. The time is still fulfilled. And he is still present with us by the Holy Spirit. And still, wherever Jesus is, that's where the kingdom of God is. And so that's the context for these three invitations. The waiting is over. The king is here. So now what? Right, well, Jesus tells us by beginning his ministry with three invitations that he alone has the authority to issue because he is the king who has come near. Three invitations that certainly are, people, are for people uh, who have never committed themselves to Jesus, but also three invitations to be received and accepted daily by those who have committed themselves to Jesus. The three invitations, repent, believe the good news, follow me. Repent, believe the good news, 
follow me. So first, repent. This is a word that often makes us squirrely, right? Sort of squirm in our seats. We think of a guy on the street corner wearing a sandwich board and yelling into a bullhorn. Repent. It makes, uh, it feels judgmental to us, and we do not like to feel judged, right? In fact, that might have been what that young man meant when he said uh, the church seems like a lot of rules, like the church made him was pretty clear that he wasn't following the rules, and he didn't like that feeling. But since Jesus came for the specific purpose of taking all the judgment that we deserve away from us and onto himself, it does not seem likely that Jesus is just nitpicking the rules when the very first thing he says in his ministry is repent. What if Jesus' call to repent is consistent with his heart for the disenfranchised? What if Jesus' call to repent comes from a place of divine love and divine knowing what's best for us? What if Jesus' call to repent is just the first part of the invitation to come and be with him? You might know that the Greek word translated repent means to change one's mind. To change one's mind. It's not a word that is principally about our behavior, except in the sense that our behavior always flows from our beliefs. Our behavior always flows from our beliefs. There's this great quote in the book on prayer that we're studying on Wednesday nights. Hope you can join us. Uh, The quote is this, the main difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. Let that sink in. The main difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. When we believe that we are our own autonomous authority and that we know better than God does about what's best for us, then we're going to behave according to our own whims. And a lot of times, those whims are not good for us. They're destructive. And that's why the guy with the bullhorn wants us to change our behavior. And changing our behavior may actually be good advice. But I think that Jesus' concern is much deeper. Jesus begins his ministry with an invitation to change your mind about who the real God is in your life. There is a throne on your heart. Who is sitting in it? You or God? Jesus' invitation to repent is an invitation to let God sit on the throne, to let him be in charge. Your behavior will change if your belief changes. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been walking with Christ for 34 years, and I need to repent in this way every day. Every day. My behavior might be right most days, but who gets to be in charge? Me? Me? Or him. And that is a reset that needs to happen every day. Sometimes multiple times a day. So repent. Change your mind. Let God be God in your life. Number two, believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Good news, gospel, same word in Greek, euangelion. The euangelion, you like euphoria, like it's good. 
you hear the word angel, angelion, like it's a message, the good message. In the Roman world of Jesus' day, they did not have the internet to get news around. What did they have? Horses, right? So, so, uh, so if there was a new Caesar that took the throne, they would send messengers on horses all around the kingdom to proclaim the euangelion, the good message, the good news of the new king. And that was, that was the message. And so when Jesus announces that the kingdom of God has come near, the new king is here, it's the euangelion, the good news. Now, a bunch of, the, uh, the bunch of rules version of Christianity, that's good advice. Right? And some of it really is good advice. Like, your life is going to be better if you do not commit adultery, or if you do not lie, or if you get a handle on your alcohol consum- consumption. All those things good advice. But Christianity is not at its heart good advice. It's good news. And we, like, when you read the news, it tells you what has happened. Christianity at its heart is gospel. It's good news. It tells us what has happened, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus says this on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he has not yet died for the sins of the world. He has not yet risen again to offer us eternal life with him. But the kingdom of God had come near because Jesus was God incarnate, living and ministering among them. And even that was hard for them to believe. It was hard to believe because Jesus looked just like they did. He was a Middle Eastern man, right? Flesh and blood, dark brown hair, brown eyes. And yet he was God in the flesh. He was there to set the people free from the bondage of sin and death. And it's hard, I think, for us to believe sometimes too, isn't it? Hard to believe that Jesus from so long ago has anything to do with us here and now while we're struggling to pay the bills or to get our head around what the doctor just told us. It's hard to believe that Jesus could forgive us for all the wrong that we've done. It's hard to believe uh, that he's with us now, that he hears our prayers, that he speaks to us through Scripture. And so the invitation is just as pressing for us as it was for Jesus' first audiences. Believe the good news. Because Jesus has everything to do with us. He does forgive us by his own death and resurrection. He does hear our prayers and speak to us. Repent and believe the good news. And finally, Jesus says, follow me. Like when you've changed your mind, repented, you change your mind about who gets to sit on the throne of your heart, and you believe the good news that God is for you and has come near to you, it just only makes sense to follow Jesus, to trust him with your life, to apprentice under him, to learn from him the right way to live your life. I've always read this story, and the story of Jesus calling his first disciples, like Jesus just showed up unexpected, unannounced, they didn't have any idea who he was, and and yet he says, follow me, and they sort of drop their nets like robots and sort of follow him, change careers. Like that's kind of how I've always read it. But you know, this is probably uh, just a couple of months after Jesus was baptized. 
And, and this whole crowd of people had seen the skies open up, the Spirit descend upon him. They'd heard the voice of the Father say, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. And in fact, Peter's brother Andrew, who's there on the sea of, shore of Sea of Galilee, was probably there at the baptism as well. And so it's likely that there's this buzz that has gone across the countryside about this thing that happened, about this man Jesus. And Andrew's now sitting there on the shore with Peter. They're mending their nets. And Andrew looks up and there he is. It's him. The very one that he saw just a couple of months ago at, at the Jordan River. and The one with the spirit, the one with the voice from heaven. John the Baptist had been Andrew's spiritual guide, but John himself had said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase, I must decrease. And that is the one who is standing before Andrew and Peter and says, follow me. Are they going to do it? Of course they're going to do it. What a privilege. I mean, if he walked in here this morning and, and you knew that he was the Son of God, and he says, follow me, here's a blanket or something, but here, follow me, uh, I mean, would you do it? Yes. What a privilege. And of course, he is here by his spirit, not flesh and blood, but every week, right here, and his invitation is always, follow me. And during the week, when I'm tempted to be angry, and my kids or my wife, because they didn't do something exactly uh, the way that I wanted, the voice whispers, follow me. Follow me before you make a jerk out of yourself. When I'm on my phone and I start want, wondering about maybe going down some rabbit holes that I shouldn't go down, follow me. When I've blown it, big or little, repent, believe the good news, and follow me. These are everyday invitations. Not just a bunch of rules, but an invitation to walk with the Savior, to receive His grace, to live for His glory the way that you were created to live. And at least for me, and it looks like for you, that is worth getting up on a Sunday morning to hear week in and week out. Repent. Believe the good news. Follow me every day. Amen. Let us reaffirm our faith as we say together the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, 